0: John was one of the original disciples of Jesus. He was called from the fishing boats. By all, uh, by all accounts, it looks like a pretty successful fishing business that he was working in with his father and his brother and, and other hired hands. And the purpose of Jesus calling John was that John would become one of the eyewitnesses To the events that were about to happen as Jesus walked the earth, from his miracles to his death to his resurrection to the very birthing of the church. Now, as John began to follow Jesus, he saw him as the Old Testament promised Messiah. But even as we begin to talk this week, we're going to spend the next several weeks on Wednesday night talking about end-time events and what the Bible says about end-time events. There can be great confusion when you're reading about end-time events, and we'll talk about why that is Wednesday night. And they were confused about these events. They were confused about the first coming of Christ. They thought he was going to use the power of God— to overthrow Rome and to set Israel up once again as a national power under God's blessing. He believed this so much that he gave up his career to follow Jesus, and he began to vie for power and position in in the new kingdom that was going to be set up. At one point, as we've talked before, he and his brother approached Jesus about when the new kingdom is set up, that they'd like to sit, you know, they'd like to have a throne room, a throne on each side of his throne. They'd like to be right there in the very throne room of the the new kingdom. Uh, But all of this is radically changed through the events that happen at the crucifixion. And what we find is that Jesus would become, or John would become one of the few apostles that are recorded to have actually have been at the crucifixion that we know with certainty that he was there. So John has walked through this time where he's expecting Jesus to come into great power and to set up a kingdom upon this earth. And even though Jesus had told them time and again that he was going to be given into the hands of evil and wicked men and he was going to be Uh, crucified, and that he would rise in three days. That that, that wasn't registering in their thinking. That wasn't connecting inside of their minds. And now he's watched Jesus turned over into the hands of these men. He's watched as he's been crucified, and he watches as he dies. Now years later, he writes his gospel. And he tells us in the verses that we just read that he wrote what he wrote so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that because of that we might have life. This is the purpose of why I wrote this book. And so I could have told you a lot of other stories. Couldn't write them all. I told you the ones I told you so that you would come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now remember, when you talk about Christ, the name Christ is a title. His name is Jesus. John recognizes him as the Christ. It's like saying Joe is a doctor or Mark is a pastor. Now Christ is a very special title. And because of his claim to be Messiah, that's one of the reasons the Pharisees wanted to kill him, is the blasphemy of taking that title. But John is, is now once again calling him the Christ, the Messiah, the sent one from God. So at the close of his book, as he's wrapping all of this up, and he's told about the death, the resurrection, he talks about some of the encounters that Jesus has with people after he's resurrected from the grave. He tells us that Mary Magdalene, about Mary Magdalene going to the tomb and it being empty, and she gets there and the tomb is empty, and she's get there to do some things for Jesus, and she freaks out because Jesus isn't there, and she runs, and their and first, her first thought is somebody has taken him, and she runs and tells Peter and John, and they run down to the tomb, and they find it empty, and The Bible says that John testifies that they remember at that moment what Jesus said before he was crucified about rising from the dead, but they still didn't quite get it, and they left there, and they went to their own homes. And after they'd went to their own homes, Jesus shows up and talks to Mary, has a conversation with her, and she goes back and tells them this amazing story that she has talked with Jesus. And it, I don't quite know what to think about it. So that night the disciples uh, get together. And as they get together in this meeting, that's when these two who were on the, Oma, the Emmaus Road that was talked about last Sunday show up and tell their story. That on the Emmaus Road, Jesus has shown up and walked with them and gone into their home and talked with them. And now they've come back uh, to, to tell them. And while they're hearing this, John says, while this is going on in a locked room, hiding from the Jews, he says, Jesus came and stood in their midst, told them to have peace. And in this meeting, he shows them his hands that have been nail pierced. He shows them his side, them his side, has been pierced by the, by the spear. And they see for the first time the risen Jesus. They were all there. All the original apostles were there with the exception of Judas who had betrayed Jesus and killed himself. And Thomas. For some reason, Thomas isn't there. The Bible doesn't tell us why. He just didn't make it that night which kind of tells you something about why you need to be at church. (laughs) Because sometimes Jesus shows up and you miss him if you don't get there. Thomas, over the next days, they're going to tell Thomas what they experienced. And Thomas will be a skeptic. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't you be a skeptic? Wouldn't you have some questions Jesus has been killed, crucified, beaten, laid in the grave, and now you're telling me he's alive and walking around and talking, and he showed up inside of a room with locked doors? Yeah, guys, what were you drinking? What was that, what was that night like up in that room? What was going on? Let me ask you, have you ever been a skeptic? Have you ever had things about faith that made you wonder? I mean, there there may be some of you in this room today that you're, you're skeptical about whether this whole faith thing is real or not. About whether Jesus is real or not. You may have heard stories. You may have read things that make you wonder. And you may be a Christian sitting here today, and there may be some things even inside of faith that as a Christian, you've got some pretty big questions about some things that are just kind of a little bit hard for you to buy, and you're not quite sure about. You know, some some Christians. You know, we say we're really believers, but then we 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 live like skeptics. Let me ask you a question: Do you believe prayer changes things? Some of you, oh, pastor's setting us up for something. Do you believe prayer changes things? Do you pray? Do you take time to really seek God about those things that need to be different? You've got a lost son or a lost daughter. You've got a broken relationship. You've got somebody that you love and you care about that needs to come to Christ. You need an answer for a big decision in your life. You need help in some area of your life. Are you really praying? See, it's one thing to sit here and say, yeah, prayer changes things. But the... but. I, I reveal a heart of a skeptic when I say prayer changes things, and then I go and try to do everything to change things, and I never pray about it. Does that mean I shouldn't go try and do things? No, I I, want to go try and do what the Lord tells me to do. But the first thing on my list should be prayer. It shouldn't be the last thing on my list. Okay, I've done everything I know to do now. now All that's left is for me to pray. No, we got that backwards pray, and then do what the Lord tells you to do. And so I need to learn. Do you believe the Word of God is our standard for faith and conduct? Do you believe this is the way we should live our life by the Word of God? Then let me ask you, are you diligently seeking the Word of God? Are you still in the process of saying, you know what? I know I live in a culture that would sway my thinking and sway my opinions and move my Move my actions. I know I've been raised in a way and I have stuff in my life that would have me act this way or that way. Wonder what the Word says about it. Do we really believe that our life gets better when we read and know the Word and we apply it to our life? See, if all I do is believe it but I don't do it, I'm living the life of a skeptic. I'm not doing it. I'm saying I believe it because I know the right answer to say. I know when to say amen. I know when to say yes. But I'm not seeking it and saying, God, what would you really have to say to me? There's different levels of being a skeptic. I can be a skeptic and be one who just really looks at things and doubts them. The Sadducees were skeptics. We talked about this about three weeks ago. They didn't believe in life after death. Jesus in Matthew 22, when he answers them, he says this. He says, you are wrong. They don't believe in life after death. He says, you are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. Now now listen, I want you to hear me as kindly as I can say that. Not understanding the Word of God or the power of God is the root of skepticism. It's the way it's been in my life. When I haven't known really what the Word of God says about something, or the power, I've got to know both. Because I can see something in the Word of God and go, "I I don't know how that works. But when I experience the power of God, and I know the Word of God, skepticism begins to flow away. Because I know God is great enough to do whatever God says. And when I know His Word enough and know that He keeps His Word then I know that God's able to do it, and I know that God has said he's going to do it, and skepticism and doubt flows out of my heart, and I can rest in peace because I'm free from skepticism. Have you been skeptical about the things of God? Maybe you still are as a believer, and you're trying to figure out what what all this is about, and, 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 and how to really live this way, and what to really do, and how to really conduct your life. That's okay. This passage in John 20 gives us insight into how God deals with skeptics. In John chapter 20, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. He wasn't there that night. He wasn't there. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's pretty skeptical, isn't it? Never going to believe. Now, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, "'Peace be with you.' Then he said to Thomas, "'Put your finger here and see my hands.'" Put put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. The Greek language here, the tense of the language is important for us to understand. The word that is translated in verse 25 is in what we call the imperfect tense. What that means is, is that this story that's told quickly is a story that unfolded throughout a week. What it means is, is that the disciples kept telling Thomas. For the next eight days, they kept telling Thomas, did, did, we, did Peter tell you what happened? Did John tell you what happened? Did, did, did James tell you what happened? Gee, listen, man, I was there. Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up. He showed us his hands. He showed us his hands. This is going on all week with Thomas. Until Thomas finally gets fed up with it and goes, listen, I don't care what you guys say. I don't care what you say. I know you say you've seen the nails, the, the nail prints in his hands. I know you've seen, he showed you the, the piercing in his side. I know all of that. I know what you say. But unless I put my, unless I see it myself, put my hand in those nail prints myself, put my hand in his side, I'm not buying it. Not buying it. Not going there. And they keep saying, but we, we saw him, He's alive. He's like, I mean, I can just hear the conversation. But Thomas, his faith had been crushed by the crucifixion. It had been destroyed. And the eight days go by. And here's the the important lesson for those of us who can be skeptics at times. First of all, Thomas had not bugged out. Thomas was still there. He hadn't looked him and said, okay, this, this is, you guys are too weird for me. I, I've, been, I've been with this thing for three years. I'm done now. Now, now why was he still there? We're not, we're not told for sure. Maybe it was his friendship with these guys that held him in place. Maybe his love for Jesus, he was still deep down in his heart hoping, even though he couldn't believe it. Maybe it's because he had seen way too much. He'd just seen seen too much. I've seen, man, he'd seen the the multitudes fed. He'd seen the dead raised. He'd seen Jesus walk on water. He'd seen just all kinds of, you know, the the lame walk. Maybe he'd just seen too much just to walk away from it all. What we know for sure is this. Thomas set a pretty high standard for him to believe. He would have to put his fingers in the nail prints and his hand in the spear-pierced side. If you're a skeptic, I want you to remember this today. Jesus is patient with sincere skeptics, even if your standards are high. He doesn't get ticked off at the, sincere, at the sincere skeptic. We can see that Thomas is sincere in his skepticism. He has some reason to be sincere, but he's still hanging out. He's still there. But Jesus is not patient with stubbornness. I sat in a restaurant many years ago now with a man. His children were about to become Oasis age. And he was, uh, I didn't realize at the time when he, when he asked me to go to lunch with him, but he was... Uh, trying to decide whether he was going to let them come into the Oasis or not. I didn't know that when the discussion started. So when we sat down, I just just thought he wanted to know more about the Oasis and what the the group was like and what kind of things that we did. And So I was excited for his kids to come into the group, and I was excited to have lunch with him and start building some relationship there. But when we sat down at the table that day, he began to really kind of quiz me on uh, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what we would be teaching about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit would work in individual lives and the, the spirit what we would be teaching his children about the Holy Spirit. And, and the more he questioned me, the more I began to realize uh, he's not questioning me because he wants to make sure that I'm, you know, teaching the fullness of the Word. He's questioning me because he doesn't believe this. He doesn't believe that the Holy Spirit has a role in our lives today. And so I began to, to point out some Scripture to him and, and began to talk to him about some Scripture. And, and, and the conversation, I could tell he was becoming a little more confrontational with, with what we were talking about. And I finally asked him what he believed, and he told me he just didn't believe any of it. It's a man who professed to be a Christian. And we talked a little bit more and shared some Scripture with him because you know, you know, the, the Scripture's got to be our standard for faith and conduct. And finally, I realized I was getting nowhere with him. And I finally I said to him, we're sitting in a booth at, at, a, at a restaurant. And I said to him, what would it take, what would, what would it take for God to reveal this to you, for you to believe it? And he looked at me, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, he pointed at the floor right next to us. He said, if Jesus himself appeared in the flesh right here right now and told me you were right, I wouldn't believe it. Well, friends, that's not skepticism. That's being hard-hearted. I mean, if Jesus shows up, I think you better believe it. What do you think? Now, this this man, his children never came to the Oasis. He made his decision that day. They weren't going to be a part of what we were doing. I had some limited contact with them over the next several years through kids and friends that did come to the Oasis that were there. And I want to tell you, the day came in his life where he had to have wished that the Holy Spirit was true. Because over the next four years, they made some heartbreaking, heartbreaking decisions in their life. That if the Holy Spirit had been alive in their life, it would have led them a different direction. See, pride and hard-heartedness, lead us to trouble. Thomas had seen enough that even though he was skeptical, he was going to keep showing up. He was looking for the right answer. And that's that's the thing I would tell you today if you're struggling with skepticism, whether skepticism to become a Christian or as a Christian skepticism about some area of faith in the Word of God. Have you seen enough? Have you heard enough? Have you sensed enough in your spirit that even though you're skeptical about these things, you're still learning that you know, I need to keep showing up. I need to work my way through this to whether I'm going to fully believe it or whether I'm not. I'm telling you, if you're a sincere skeptic, Jesus will be patient with that. He says, is he going to show up and show me his hands and and his sight? Most likely not. I'll tell you what he's going to do. He is going to show you the wisdom of his word. As you begin to look at his word and you begin to study his word, he's going to show you the wisdom of his word that if everybody lived like this and if you lived like this, your life would be in a better place and the world would be in a better place. He's going to show up and show you the power of his presence in the middle of a worship service, in the middle of a prayer time, in the middle of crisis in life, you're going to sense the comforting, strengthening hand of God come into you. In the middle of a sermon, you're going to feel the convicting power of God move in your life and tell you and witness to you this is true. That's how he's going to show up in your life. We live in a day where the Holy Spirit's present to speak to us and where the word of God is available to us so we can know the word of God and we can know the power of God and we can experience now I want to tell you about a, a couple of ways this works here is warning number 1 I know I've known believers who just haven't known enough of the word to stay out of trouble I mean and they go for years they go for years, and they don't learn the Word, and so they keep getting in trouble. They mess up this relationship, and oh, I'm going to get out of this one, and they, just, you know, they go start a new one, and you know, within a year or two, this one's a mess. And they're going, "Oh, I just married the wrong guy. I was with the wrong gal. I'm with the wrong person. And then this one, I'll go get another one, and that one's a mess before long. And you know why? It's not, it's not because—it's because we're a mess. It's because we don't take time— to study the Word and become the people we need to be. And therefore, we get attracted to the wrong things. We're drawn to the wrong things. And I just see these people make the same mistake over and over again. You'll see them come in the church. They'll be all on fire for God for a while. They'll be around, and they'll hang out, and then they'll meet some guy, or they'll meet some gal, and all of a sudden, you won't see them. For six months. and Then they'll come back in six months later, and they're just broken and messed. Oh, this guy was so terrible. This guy was so terrible. He was so bad. It was so heartbreaking. I can't believe I'm so glad to be home. And you're like, we're glad you're home too. Come on in. Let's get in. And six months later, they met another guy. They're missing church more and more, and they're not around. They're shutting everybody off in their life. About six, seven, eight months go by and they're back, you know, oh, he was so terrible, he was so bad. Why do we keep doing this? Because we don't know the Word. Because we don't obey the Word. Because we don't follow the Word. We don't build relationships the way the Word tells us to. If I want to break the ugly cycles in my life, I've got to know what the Word says about the ugly cycles in my life. i got a couple of amens out there. Some of you are sitting there going, what's he talking about? Be careful, this might be you. Don't. I'm warning you that the Word of God will protect us. The Word of God will rescue us. The Word of God will deliver us. But I can live as, a, as an unattached skeptic because I, don't, I choose to not know the Word of God for the areas of my life. And it leads me into all kinds of heartache. And so I would tell you, we, we've got to become a people who sit and say, I believe the Word The word will protect me. I have known believers who are skeptical about some area of teaching of the Word. They believe in Jesus. They've got their faith in Him. And, and they've got some area of teaching the Word, but they're just skeptical that, you know, they're trying to write off. Sometimes for personal reasons, they want to write it off or write this off or write that off. They're just skeptical about some area of the Word. And they, they, they know enough, but they refuse the full instruction of the Word. They refuse to fully do what the Word tells them to do. And what usually happens is they come to a point of crisis where they really need the Word. I mean, again, they, they, won't, say it, they won't tell you outwardly, oh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of a skeptic about prayer. They just never pray over their family, never pray over their home. They never pray over their children. They never spend any time just seeking God, saying, God, give me wisdom, how to be a better dad or a better mom and then crisis comes. And all of a sudden, they want everybody praying. They want everybody praying. Because crisis has now come. And what's happened is, is because they haven't, li- they haven't lived out in this thing, now they've walked into a place where they become vulnerable to an attack of the enemy, and now they know, I better, I, I better discover what this truth is about. I just want to encourage you. We want the fullness of God's Word in my life. Believer, is there an area of faith that you hear taught but you reject? And my prayer is right now that that begin to jump into your hearts if there is. You hear it taught. You're supposed to be a witness. Oh, not me. Not me. I'm not supposed to be a witness. You hear it taught. I'm supposed to be a giver. Oh, I'm not supposed to be a giver. You hear it taught. I'm supposed to be kind. Listen, if you'd worked with the people I work with, you wouldn't be kind either. No, are you getting this? We can't reject the Word. We've got to receive the Word. Then, then that is where we're skeptical of, about our faith. We need to put our full trust in faith. Then there are those who are simply skeptical about faith itself. Uh, And there's two types of people who who are skeptical about faith. One, there are those who just simply don't want to believe because it will mess up their lifestyle. College students, you'll run into this with a lot of college professors. They don't want to believe because it will mess up their lifestyle. It will mess up the way they're living. Being skeptical about truth because we don't like how it impacts us doesn't make it less true. Being, dismissing an element of, of God's Word because we don't want to change doesn't mean that God's Word is less true. It means we're rejecting a portion of God's Word. So we have to be a people who receive the Word of God into our life. But then there, but then there are those who are skeptical because they just, they just don't know. They just don't know. They, they've heard about church, they've heard about God you know they 've grown up in a society that tells them there 's many ways to heaven, which is so absolutely ludicrous because the, the different religions don 't even talk about the same kind of paradise. they talk about completely different ends they 're not talking about the same place at all, but they 've heard all this stuff and they 're confused and they 're confused about they, you, know, they've heard that, you know they 've heard you know they 've heard about how you know uh, about how the Bible's an ancient, you know, ancient book that doesn't relate to us today. They, they've got all this stuff going and they just don't know. Culture's led them a different way. But they know this. They know life's not really working for them. They know life feels empty. They, they know that they've got some pretty big questions about what this life's purpose really is. And if that's you, if you've come in this place and that's who you are, we want you to know this is a very safe place for you. I just want to tell you, I'm glad you're here. We want you to be here. Come ask your questions, push back when we say something you don't get. Ask why we do the things that we do and why we believe the way we do. Be a sincere skeptic. Show up. Listen. Ask. Because we believe if you do, even if you walk in the door saying, man, my standard's pretty high, you're going to have to prove some really important things to me. We believe that in the course of time, Jesus is going to show up in your life. And the day is going to come when you're going to say, My Lord and my God. Because, see, He doesn't get mad at your skepticism. He answers our skepticism. And He moves in our lives. In a few months, we're going to actually be offering a class on Wednesday nights during the Quip for people who have questions. And I encourage you to, when we get that class started here in just a few months, uh, come to it. Ask your question. Even if you're a believer and you say, I have some questions about this. or I have some questions about that. Now, again, I'm not talking about, you know, whether, you know, you, you want to be a mid-trib or post-trib person at the end times. That's not what this class is for. This is about, boy, this is where my face stumbles a little bit. Now, listen to what Jesus says, what, what Jesus says. John said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have seen who have not seen and yet have believed there comes a time when we've heard enough there comes a time when we've seen enough it doesn't mean all your questions are answered cuz i'm just going to tell you if you're a sincere seeker your your questions are, all your questions are going to probably never be answered i still have questions But the weight of truth and conviction now tips me so far towards God that even though I may not fully understand every way that God works, I trust that He's working. I know that He's alive. I know that Jesus is His Son and that He is the Christ, the Messiah, the risen one who paid the price for my sin so that when I stand before God, I can stand before God forgiven and when that day comes in your life, you've got to make a decision whether you're going to step across the line of faith or not. Or not. This point comes at different times for different people. I mentioned this book, Unscripted, to you. If you read that book, you'll see that the husband and the wife come to faith in Christ at two different times, two different processes that God brings them through before both of them come fully and accept Christ as their Savior. If you watch the movie, The Case for Christ, uh, with Lee Strobel and his wife, you see the story of how she was moved to come to faith and how he was such a skeptic that he decided he was going to reach out and slap down her faith and try to get his wife back. But he was a sincere skeptic that the more he studied, the more the weight of evidence came about in his life. That one day he finally looked up and said, What am I waiting for? I need to give my life to Christ. So it happens at different points and at different times. But if you come to the point where in the depth of your heart, you know Jesus is true. He is the Son of God. The Spirit is born witness to you. However, you're holding out because you don't want to change your lifestyle. You've moved from skepticism to denial. You're denying who he is now. You know who he is. You're just denying him the right to be who he is. But if you've gotten to that point and you're sitting there saying, yeah, but I still have some questions. I I just want to ask you, has it gone far enough? Has it gone far enough? Where you can say, you know what, I still have some questions, but I know fundamentally this is true. I know fundamentally this is true. And if that's the case, you've crossed that point where it's now time for you to put your faith in him and your trust in him. John wrote his book as a testimony to what he saw, a witness of what he saw, so that we too could believe and have eternal life. Now, what am I going to do with this testimony? Let's stand together today and let's pray. Father, I thank you for these men and women who are here today. It took time to come to church this Sunday morning. And I pray that this word, Father, would move them. If we're skeptical in some area of our life as a believer, that we would sit and say, you know, I need to get around some believers and figure this out and come to know what I, what I should really believe. I hear others talking about this, and I haven't really thought about it enough. I've just dismissed it. If we're practical skeptics, when we say we believe one thing, but in practice we do do another, let us see that and recognize that and turn from that today and become practicing people of faith. Father, if there's someone here today who is skeptical Maybe because of things that have happened in their life or because of circumstances in their world. Lord, I just pray they'd find this a safe place to come and ask questions. But, Father, if there's one, they, they've, they've heard enough, they've answered enough. The weight of truth has fully tipped to your side, they've sensed your power. They've read and heard your word. They don't have all the answers yet. But Lord, they know that you're real. I pray that today, before this morning's over, they would come down and pray with someone and ask your son to be the Lord of their life as well, the Savior of their soul. Pray for this in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask prayer teams to come down to the front right now. Prayer teams all across this place. When you move down, we're going to sing a song here in just a second before we go. And as we do, if you have any need in your life, this is, you know, one of those things where we're either practicing people of faith or we're skeptics. If you have a need in your life, come let somebody pray with you. Oh, you know, people see me go down. No, no, no. You know what? Nobody's thinking about who's going down there, who's not going down there. It's just not happening. Everybody's worried about what everybody's thinking about them. So, if you have a need in your life, just step out and let somebody come pray with you. Amen? Whatever it is, just come and let somebody pray. Especially today, if you're sitting there and you're saying, you know what? I know enough that I believe Jesus is really the Lord. He's really the Messiah. He's really the Christ. And I need to put my faith in Him. I want to challenge you today. Why wait another second? Why take another moment's risk with your eternity? Why take another hour to walk with your eternity in jeopardy when you can walk down to the front of this place today, pray with somebody, and let the promise of God that everyone who calls on his name will be saved, be applied to your life you this, oh man, I'm scared. Then look at the person next to you and ask them to come with you. You You don't have to walk down alone. You just have to come let somebody pray with you. This is the most important thing you'll ever do in your life. Don't miss this moment. If you're not sure of your eternity in Jesus, come today and receive Jesus as your Savior. Amen. As we sing this song, if you need to come, For any reason, you come, but especially if you need to ask Christ into your life, you come as well.